there are so many educative kits and tools and all that out there. But what is really the missing link is this bridge to bring this nerdy stuff to all the kids equally. Technology will always be a mirror of our values and of ourselves as a society, but it's never evil itself or good per se. It's like what we make out of it. And I think this is really important to educate people and also kids and teenagers about that. And this is our purpose. So there is hierarchy, right? We are not missing any hierarchies, but it's just spread it differently. I think we are only flexible. <laughs> Sometimes this is hard, but yeah, yeah, we have, nobody has the same contract in our company. For me, this is a key to happiness factor for the team because, yeah, there are people who come in at 11 to the office. This would be my worst dream. I need to get up early. I need to work early because this is the most productive time for me. But I know there are different people and that's all right. But I feel pretty confident that so many people within the team feel so empowered that they will manage to, to keep the company alive in the best Uh, way I would also do it. Bonjour, bonjour, and welcome to Mission First, the podcast to get inspired and to learn from successful entrepreneurs who are building a sustainable future for our planet and its people. I am Gilles Toussaint, your host and the founder of GT Impact, a growth and digital marketing agency working only with companies making a positive difference in this world. Growing a company that aims at having a sustainable impact is not easy. That's why I created Mission First. In each episode, I interview one entrepreneur who has a sustainable mission and who has recently gone through the difficult first years successfully. Together, we discuss their challenges and what they have learned on the way. We go into detail with a specific focus on company culture, leadership, financing, growth, and business strategy. That way, you'll learn hands-on tips on how to build a better future and a successful company too. In this episode, our guest is Francisca Schmidt, the CEO and co-founder of Junge Tüftler and the Tüftel Academy. With her companies, Francie and her team have taught technology through events, workshops and webinars to more than 25,000 kids and teenagers in Germany who have learned that way how to become young inventors. Francie is a friend of mine, and I was very excited to learn more about the successful growth of her company, but also because she has an inspiring vision of education and how her company should be developed in all transparency through a new organization system called Holacracy. I was very curious to learn how they both share the CEO role with her co-founder Julia and how she quit her job to found her company while being pregnant. I was also very keen to learn more about how they used that holacracy system to develop the NGO and their companies to more than 25 employees, giving full transparency to the salaries and using that system to give ownership and power in the decision-making to all employees. If you want to learn about what flexibility and transparency might look like in the future of modern organizations, this episode is for you. Welcome to this podcast, Francie. Thank you so much for taking some time for us today. How are you? I'm really good. I'm excited. Uh, actually, this is my first podcast. So I'm really uh, excited to talk to you today. Oh, really? That's great to hear. Yeah. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we've been knowing each other for a few years now. And, you know, I've always been very inspired by your entrepreneurship journey, really. 
And for this interview, uh, you know, I've read one article about you, uh, and the title was like, Three Women Who Are Changing the World of Education. I've read that your company has educated more than 25,000 uh, kids since 2015. That's a very, very impressive number. But I know as well that you, like Yulia, your co-founder and your team, have been working really hard for that. And you also have a very specific mindset and type of organization. So I can't wait to, to learn more and to have the chance to, to have this chat together. So to start, can you remind me, oh, can you explain us what's the name of your company or your companies in your case and uh, what's your role? Yeah. Um, so first, thanks for the compliments. <laughs> uh, I also enjoy talking to you about these things and uh, exchanging uh, thoughts with a lot of different people from different uh, fields. Yeah. So maybe... Um, so our first um, uh, company was founded in 2016. We started the initiative in 2015, but actually founded the company uh, in 2016. It's called Junge Tüftler. This is quite a German name, <laughs> but um, yeah, it, uh, if I translate it word by word, it would mean like something like young tinkerers. And um, Tüfteln is a really, um, yeah, a really lovely word, I think, because it's uh, it's a it's a inventing person who is like not giving up, but really digging into things and really trying to look from different angles to find a solution, which um, yeah, which is an innovation in the end. And um, right now um, we have two companies, so we founded a, a second company in 2017. Uh, Junge Tüftler is a non-profit, so this was a really um, yeah, conscious step, actually. We thought a lot about which kind of uh, uh, company we want to have, and we founded a non-profit. And in 2017, we founded a, another company, um, which is a for-profit, and which is more looking into um, education for adults. Um, And it's called Tüftel Academy, so it has the same word in it. So there is, of course, the strong connection to each other. However, it is also quite common in the nonprofit sector to have a nonprofit and a for-profit. And we also found it um, way easier to have these two, um, yeah, different, different versions of companies. Um, and last year, actually, we started a third brand it's called form 21 um, which is connected the name is connected to um, forming and building and 21 like it's form 21 means like all these um, 21st century skills and everything which comes uh, yeah with this kind of already pretty and uh, well-known term and yeah this is but this is only a brand not an own company yeah and we have In total, 28 employees over two companies. We are two um, founders, Julia and I. And this is already, uh, I can spoil that already. This is the key to everything, I think, <laughs> this connection between us. And yeah, we both share equally um, the shares. And also we both have the CEO role. So we share this really equally. And of course, this also has some tensions because... Um, We are not uh, really good in separating clear fields like Julia is only concentrating on that. I'm concentrating on this. Um, we have these, but for major um, decisions and stuff like that, we always come together and discuss. And 
this might be sometimes confusing for the team who is uh, who is responsible for what. But on the other hand, it brings so many yeah values to the company to always check back and share the thoughts. So you both have 50% of the shares and it means as well so for the decisions you always have to align because there is no third person. Yeah, exactly. So this is how we set it up from the beginning and we also talked about these things um, with um, other entrepreneurs and we were lucky enough to um, were announced the Kultur and Kreativpiloten in 2016, which is a... Um, yeah, a prize that you win from the Bundesministerium für Wirtschaft. And there you also get some coachings and stuff like that. So we already did a lot of coachings, different kind of coachings. But what we learned in the beginning is really that if you are two people or more founding a company together, it's really, really important to have equal shares. Because other than that, it will always create a kind of, that's what they told us, and we can, we can just emphasize that because it worked out really well for us um other than that you will always have this kind of subtle um feeling that he has more shares or she has more shares than the other person and that it creates a hierarchy which is never healthy for this kind of setup because you really have to work uh so closely together you have to trust yourself it's like a marriage actually and it's it's really important that you feel equal and have equal rights in the company. I think this was really beneficial to our to our story. Yeah. And this podcast is called Mission First. So I'd like to know what's the mission of your company, and if it's different from your personal mission, like what are your personal mission and the mission of your your company? Well, we founded the company actually driven by our personal interests. So um, it's really, really closely connected when um when we started the initiative actually julia and i we know each other from a former job at a big corporate and then i went to work in an agency and she stayed in this big uh, oem and <laughs> however we always wanted to do something together and we wanted to to work together and we started with this um first workshop for kids actually exploring technology and this was for for she has a quite, she has a little different, Julia has a different um, story uh, of telling our founding uh, uh, narrative. However, mine, is, <laughs> mine goes like that. Um, yeah, I, I worked in this agency and we were half of the employees were designers, as I am, and half were uh, developers. And I always found it super interesting what these developers could build and what this whole world is about and stuff like that. So I was really personally interested in learning more about coding and technology and all that. Um, so what we did is actually we started to educate ourselves a little bit more because there are so many educative kits and tools and all that out there. But what is really the missing link is this bridge to bring this nerdy stuff to all the kids equally. Or back then it was more like, for for my personal interest, ah, this is interesting. I can use this uh, this uh, coding uh, thing, which is built for kids, but I can also learn it uh, through this blockly based coding app. However, um, I was I was not a mother back then, and I was like, okay, we work with kids, that's all right, but only by 
starting getting into this education field, I realized the big, big impact um, of education also at a very, very early stage of kids. And um, I have to say that our mission actually and our values didn't change so much over the years. So we spend a lot of, lot of brain work in the beginning in shaping these values and our mission. And But my personal view has um, not changed, but has is now way more aware of the, the great impact we can have and of the um, importance, actually, of the work we are doing. I was not aware of that when we founded that. It only, you know... We, we did this workshop and then we did uh, a camp and then we got to work with different companies and then we got to work with um, um, ministries and the Senate and stuff like that. And only then um, I realized the complexity of the whole education system in Germany, because it is quite complex, and of the, yeah, also of the missing parts and of the... Um, how would you describe that um of the where you have like i don't know where it's really you, failing and you, you, yeah. you said you combine education something very interesting i think on your on your linkedin like about profile from the company you said you combine education for sustainable development mm -hmm. with education in the digital world so mm -hmm. can you explain to me what you mean by sustainable development in that case yeah yeah i'm happy to so um This is something uh, the UN um, declared these, how many are there? Sustainable Development Goals. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Uh, how many are there? Them, I think. 17, I think. 17, 19. Uh, yeah, exactly. Sustainable Development Goals. And I feel like this was really a game changer because before that, it was never so um, um, visible to the public, that these are really the big issues we need to face in the future. And these are the topic, actually, people are interested in working on. However, we have this, we started with a very um, technology-driven focus, but technology is never enough for itself, right? It only is meaningful if you use it for a cause that really helps people. So I feel like This combination is really, um, yeah, the right way to understand how technology is used in a good way, like tech for good and stuff like that. So only if we use it for a, for a cause that we really want to, uh, yeah, that we really want to make better in a way, um, we can use it in the right way. Otherwise, it's, of course, there is this whole research stuff where you have to do things only to explore technology more and the capabilities of it however if you want to use technology as a tool to shape our future i think it's very important to always start and this is also where i come from and where my heart as well is this designer uh, perspective what do people want to have what do we need to have and then use technology in the way to shape it maybe it's a great tool to help us to shape the future and i think also the whole um, AI discussion and all that, it's only, it will all, technology will always be a mirror of our values and of ourselves as a society, but it's never evil itself or good per se. It's like what we make out of it. And I think this is really important to 
educate people and also kids and teenagers about that. And this is our purpose. And so to explain our audience, what are your two companies doing in a few words? What do you offer as service for the two, well, with the two companies? Yeah, so um, Junge Tüftler, as I said, um, was the first company. And what we did is we were actually, um, we were offering events. So we did project days, camps, workshops, makeatons, stuff like that. Um, in order to um, get as many kids as possible excited about technology and about the possibilities. Um, today is the 26th of April. We are <laughs> right in the middle of Corona uh, crisis. So um, what we always emphasize is that we are not the key to only this knowledge, right? There's so much knowledge out there and the people have to learn about um, how to educate themselves. And also we are offering, of course, um, a lot of digital uh, scalable uh, material, which is f uh, freely accessible from all over Germany and the world, of course, um, in order to educate and yourself and do projects at home. And um, yeah, so it's like tutorials and you have working sheets and stuff like that. We are also selling um, Tüftel Boxen, which are like little toolkits that you can get to your home and then you can tinker with your parents at the kitchen table, on the kitchen table. And yeah, so um, these are the main, um, the, the main action parts. So you, you, offer, you offer workshops. Uh, so on one side with you can Tüftler, you offer workshops to educate uh, like kids and sometimes adults on site. And the Tüftler Academy is uh, the online workshops where they can also like use the, the workshop tile. Are all the workshops linked to these uh, Tüftler box? I saw the videos that like, like mm -hmm. with, with these boxes, the kids can use air balloons to control the keyboard or to make music on the computer or mm -hmm. like can make their own, um, uh, how do you say that, like game pads for, to, to, to play Super Mario on the computer. Uh, are they all linked to this toolboxes or are some of the workshops also can they learn by on their own online uh no they are not all linked to these toolboxes actually most of them are not linked to the toolboxes because we are not a hardware producer so um these toolboxes only came by parents asking us or schools asking us where do i buy that Uh, and most of the time, if they want to realize a project, you know, you need this microcontroller, you need this, uh, 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 I don't know, cables, you need this sensors and blah, blah, blah. So it makes sense to put it all in one box to make it more convenient for the end consumer, so to say. However, yeah, so Junge Tüftler is offering all these workshops and content and um, tutorials and stuff like that. And the Tüftler Academy is really the platform where all this is delivered. And it is also the um, company which is looking in more into this adult um, uh, education. So we focus on, for example, we get a lot of interesting uh, uh, um, questions from companies if we could train their employees as well in order to make them ready for the upcoming digitalization of their company in order to make them less scared of digital processes and all that. So what we do is actually we try to create 
an atmosphere where they interact with technology in a way that empowers them, that makes them feel strong about, yeah, I can handle that and not like it's overwhelming me and it's so uh, much and I can handle it. So we try to use different tools and um, hardware and software tools in order to get an idea of this big picture of, t of digitalization. So what is an algorithm? What is AI? Uh, why the heck is everybody talking about blockchain and stuff like that? But we try to do it in a very playful and um, way so that it's not um, overwhelming, but it's more like, ah, I opened this black box. I understand the basics of it. And I know where I can find now online or wherever more information and educate myself further. So this okay. is more like the goal. Yeah, and of course, teachers and um, yeah, pedagogues as per se are a super relevant target group as well for us because schools are all facing the problem of digital education. And yeah. How do yeah. you, uh, so let's try to go back on the, at the very, uh, at, in 2015 again, I'd like to understand how you you really started with Yulia. So you were you were working at a digital agency as a senior service designer. You had worked at like as a designer as well in a, at Volkswagen before. So what's a trigger? If I was there, some kind of trigger for you to say, okay, now is a good time to leave my job and to create this company or to create this initiative. So mm -hmm. let's can you explain us how what were your first steps and how it really started. Yeah, it is actually quite easy because we started this out of a personal interest and it got bigger and bigger. And then we got our first funded project, which was really big. Where and you were still working at the time? Yeah, I was working 100%. And then in, uh, wait, December 2015, we were already quite exhausted. And uh, yeah, and I was pregnant and uh, I was pregnant five months in May. Uh, 2016 and that's when wh when I quit my job and we founded this company actually because so you decided to quit your job <laughs> when you are pregnant yes. five months pregnant yes okay which is which is the best decision I ever uh, made however of course my dad freaked out <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah the, actually if I look back in my life it the really important decisions always felt to me like there is no other option. And it, I always did it out of a really strong motivation and out of a really, I was so sure that this is going to work out. I don't know why, because we only had this one project. However, it was a big project, but um, I knew it's going to work out fine and that we will find a way how we can make this business work. And I was really in a good place. I mean, I was pregnant, but I'm not a person who is, super concerned about security and about uh, uh, that I need a certain amount of income. I mean, of course, I live in an apartment, I eat, I buy clothes sometimes, but um, <laughs> I'm not driven by so many materialistic things. And yeah, then I quit my job <laughs> being five months pregnant. And uh, yeah, we finished this project just before I gave birth. So how uh, long? Okay, so few and months yeah, well, we already worked on this project, but it got bigger and bigger. So first, I worked parallel, and this is also something 
um, I'm quite proud of. However, I know that it's not always possible because we bootstrapped everything. So we were always profitable right from the beginning. So we had this project already going. So we earned already money with our project while we were still working. I mean, I spent every evening, every weekend. It was really exhausting. But uh, on the other hand, we always had this kind of freedom of shaping our company accordingly to our values and accordingly to what we think is right. And we never had uh, a venture capital or something uh, in. I mean, we are a nonprofit. Nobody will <laughs> invest in a nonprofit. Uh, and that really, I think that really helped us to be who we are today. And I feel like we have a strong backbone of values. And I think right now we really realize since one year or so that people apply for jobs. And I'm really happy about these applications. I'm like, yes, these people want to work with us. This is so cool. And in the beginning, of course, we were happy for everybody who joined our crazy trip. But um, right now it's like, Wow, we attract really cool people. And um, this is something which makes me so happy and so, yeah, sure that we are on the right path. Is that something that you hear a lot from the people who apply? Like, so at the beginning, it, you said it was more difficult to attract people. But I, I, mean, I mean, when I see the results now with, your, with the two companies and the, your website, which is like really like well designed and uh, um, do you, like how much do the people who want to work with you are coming for for the mission? How, how much do you feel that? Yeah, I think um, I think it's a quite interesting field actually to work in. So it's technology; it's really future driven. However, it has this meaningful core that we want to have a political voice as well in the education system. That we really want to help shaping the future that we want to empower people to be able to have a share in designing the future and i think it's it's this interesting mixture mixture which makes it hard on the one side because a normal development person is not a education person uh, yeah. <laughs> most of the time most of the time and an education person most of the time is not a person who's really into tech and digitalization and stuff so i think this combination is kind of hard to find people who are right but if you find them it's gold like it's it's so important to share your knowledge and i think more and more people get aware of that and i think that also more and more people are frustrated with only working for money and fame and that we can really offer a place where where people find meaningful work and luckily we are able to pay them as well Okay-ish, I think. <laughs> okay, so that, that that was one of my questions. Mm. So, uh, do you already like? You probably have a benchmark for a developer, for example, working for you, or a tech person working for you. Like, what what are? I'm not asking you salary numbers, but are mm. we talking about the same? Can you manage to pay them? Probably not. I guess in a similar way as they would they would in a in a in a in a pure tech company, or is it like you know plus plus if I minus twenty percent or how do you compare your your salaries compared to the the, the market mm -hmm. yeah that's interesting of course we are not paying development uh, developer uh, 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 money but um it is you're the, not paying them money no we are not paying them the money a developer would earn ah, okay yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, in the in in a corporate world or something. Um, that is true. And um, since um, I mean we already talked about it, but I'm going to repeat it now. Um, we started to work with a holacracy, um, yeah, set up for one year ago, I think. Yeah, over one year ago now. And this is also interesting because one really crucial and first step we took was to um, make the different incomes transparent to everybody and to really have a, a, a five people from the team create our uh, payment system. So can, can you explain, can you explain, just take a step back and can you just explain what is a holocracy to everyone? Because this is some word that I learned with you and I'm not sure everybody knows what this is. Yeah, sure. Um, so Holacracy is a kind of organizational um, forum where we try to share power. So it's not like a, a triangle form of the hierarchy. So where Julia and I are on top and we have all the major decisions and then it dribbles down to, in the different levels, but it's organized in circles. And there are circles who have different responsibilities and also have different um, decision levels, so to say. And we really try to um, get the great people that we work with into the position of um, being able to take the decisions they are good in. Because Julia and I, we don't have an MBA or something. So we founded these companies. These were our first companies. What is Julia's background, by the way? Oh, Julia is a, a media te a, a researcher. Yeah. Media researcher. Yeah, exactly. So not uh, tech. No, well, she had some coding and stuff like that as well because back then it was already in the curriculum. However, we are not, yeah, we are not business people, <laughs> not at all. Um, we are not technology people per se, I would say, or by by yeah by by our education, and um, but we we are working with all these great people, and I, of course we educated ourselves and we learned so much. But this holacracy system is really looking into giving the most power to the team um, in order that they feel that they have really a share and that they can really design as well the, the company with their values. So the values are the core which keeps us all together. However, if somebody decides that we should open a new uh, acquisition project or something like that, of course, I, they don't have to ask me. If they think it's good and it's beneficial for the, for the company, They can do it. And also knowing about how all these um, actions, personal actions are playing into the value of the company um, gives you such an entrepreneurial spirit because, you know, if I spend my time now two hours browsing a website or something, the company loses money. And in the end, the money, everything is transparent, right? They know that we need to earn a certain amount of money in order to pay ourselves well. But yeah, this was really a crucial step, I think. And it's also not finished yet. We are in, we made everything transparent, like all our incomes, all our um, money yeah, so, um, things. Yeah. Uh, so I would love to dig actually yeah. into that in a, like, because I think it's, 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 there are a lot of topics, including in that. I will actually encourage like uh, people to just you, you wrote a very interesting blog articles about feeling the work with uh, with emotions and holacracy. 
uh, that I highly recommend people to read on your LinkedIn profile. They can find it in your your articles. And uh, so you said that there there are three like things that make that that's part of this holacracy is like transparent wages, independent acquisition of projects that one is interested in. And also transparency in accounting. So you were, before I cut you off to explain what a holocracy was, you were explaining, you were talking about accounting and wages. Let's focus on that. And then we can talk about how you, how it actually works for the acquisition of projects. So how does it work with the transparent wages and, and, and your transparency in accounting? You were saying you had five people who are actually working on this accounting part. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, they created a system which is, Uh, organized in different steps. So you have uh, horizontal lines and vertical lines. Horizontal lines is um, engagement level. So how much responsibility do you take? And the vertical lines are like, um, how experienced am I? And on the upper left, so to say, you have the lowest income and on the lower right, you have the highest income. Because on the lower right, you are like horizontally on the most... uh, out there to take the most responsibility for the company and you are the most experienced one. And um, this is transparent to everybody and um, everybody, we, are, we are iterating on it because we also found that um, for certain people we have to pay maybe more. How can we implement this in the system? So there are also kind of hacks which come then on top and stuff like that. Um, But however, this is a really simple uh, table <laughs> and then you can see who is also, uh, who is in which category and then you can estimate how much who is earning. And also Julia and I are implemented in the system because we are a nonprofit. We are not allowed to pay us bony and stuff like that in the end of the year, right? So we live by our wages. And so is it transparent? Does it mean that all employees know how much you earn and how much the other earn? Yes. Okay. And uh, how do you um, how do you evaluate? So you have these two axes. One is the experience. One is how much like engagements, how much engaged they are with the company. Mm-hmm. How do you evaluate? Let's say let's start with the experience. How do you evaluate the experience of three different people? Well, the uh, experience is actually a kind of easy way because it's a calculation thing of um, what is your education and how much years of experience do you have in other companies. Mm -hmm. And then there is this kind of calculation thing which uh, tells you in the end which category you are. I think it's more interesting to um, to talk about the engagement level because this is also where you jump really quickly higher in higher wage categories <clears throat> so we don't uh, emphasize so much the experience level which was really important to me because i think a uh, not so much experienced person who is really giving everything he or she can can be way more beneficial to a company than somebody who is in the in the field for 10 years but just not motivated or something um but still we wanted to of course uh emphasize that you invested in your education and stuff like that however these kind of engagement level are way easier to jump into higher um, wage categories and um, this is interesting because not everybody wants to take more responsibility so there are people 
who are happy to uh, actually stay in a lower responsibility category and therefore are also okay with, okay, that I'm not earning so much more, but it's also maybe not so stressful or something. And that is fine. And that is what I really enjoy about this system because um, you can switch between the categories. You can go up and down, not like within a month, but whatever your situation How is. How often like, do you review these, like the, the where you are and the, where the people are on, the, on this graph? Well, we implemented this, I think... Uh, six months ago, approximately. Mm -hmm. And we, we worked on it for half a year. Then we implemented it now six, six months ago. And what we did is everybody did a self-evaluation. And then there was a team of five people who talked with you about your self-evaluation and kind of leveled it out. Uh, and then we had conversations. And this is also a very interesting part to Holacracy because there are, of course, personal tensions coming up because maybe somebody thinks, oh, I'm not, so I'm not taking so much responsibility. And the team thinks, oh, you are taking this responsibility. Don't be so shy and don't be so humble. Uh, go for it. And, of course, there's also the other side where people think they are like the super performer, but uh, maybe the team of five is like, hmm, maybe you were a little bit uh, self-confident here. <laughs> Let's talk about this. And this is also something which really needs to be um, coached and uh, which needs to be um, uh, yeah, uh, moderated by a person who is not in the company. So we have this clear the air meetings, which is super important um, in order to tackle these personal tensions which come up. Um, and in order to talk about that, because the team and the happiness of the team is in the end the core of our efficient and long-lasting work and so we invest a lot of time and money into these kind of uh, work to make the team really happy and of course we are not always happy we are fighting and we are discussing but it's important that we agree on our values and that these tensions help us to learn how we can get better and not that they are like um, breaking us apart And how have you, like, oh, let's, before asking you that, uh, let's talk about the second part, how there is a part about like responsibilities and accountability. And you said, for example, everyone can acquire some new projects without asking you anything. How does that work? Oh, yeah, Do this you was have an example of that? Yeah, this was only a, an example, right? So everybody can, uh, is involved in all the company structure things. And acquisition was only one example for that. However, um, if you ask me about an example, um, like in the beginning, Julia and I, since we are the founder, and still we are kind of the most visible faces, I think, of the company, um, we acquired most of the projects. And I feel like bringing in different people and our team growing, we had so many interesting inputs from from different colleagues. One is, for example, curating a movie festival on her free time. The other one is uh, uh, producing really, really great music. The third one is organizing some bio-hackable uh, makeathons in, in her free time and stuff like that. And all this is so valuable and rich. And what we learned is that these people, of course, talk to way different people than I or Julia would talk to. 
and that we open up, of course, and that we try to motivate them to acquire projects, uh, which also which are super interesting to them, and it fits into our company uh, actions. And there's, I think, nothing more uh, satisfying than you bringing in your own project from your own background and working on that within your company and getting paid for it. This is kind of, for, for me at least, this is, like, this is like my dream job, right? I'm doing this every day and I feel so lucky about that, that I can do that. So that, does this happen a lot right now? Like you studied that about a year ago. Like, do you have an example of project that came in and uh, how, like, do you accept all projects? Do you like, is it no question asked or how do you evaluate then, you know, the resources that, that, that would need, would be needed for that, like projects and if you, you mm -hmm. have them? Well, we have quite different projects. Maybe I need to explain how we are, uh, how our business case works a little bit in yes. order to understand that because um, we are a nonprofit. So we have a very creative way of uh, business case, I think, because we never, or at least this is our goal, um, want to have the kids or the parents of the kids pay for the events because we want to make it open for every social level and for everybody to participate in our events. So we don't have a direct B2C business case. We always have a, a, a cross-financing way of um, getting our projects paid. And we work with companies, um, for example, who are paying... Um, Uh, our projects from the um, CSR, CSR or HR corporate, department, co corporate social corporate. responsibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Department from from their HR department, from their digitalization or IT department. So this is like a classical uh, project. They pay. They have clear uh, expectations, and we work on the project. Do they pay as sponsors or do they pay, you know, as sponsors for an event that you suggest them that is not even related to the employees? Or is it, do they, do they pay to organize that for the employees' kids, for example? Yeah, both, both. So it's very, very different. So I think what we are really good in is uh, in uh, tailoring these kind of events according to our clients' needs. And of course, we do events for kids of employees but we also do like more in a sponsorship way um projects like um the csr department um wants to invest in education in the region they are located in and they come to us and we develop together a kind of project and sometimes it's also like we have a cool idea of something which we really want to do and we go out and try to talk to people and try to find companies or Uh, other um, foundations and stuff who are interested in that and who who want to fund us. So, yeah, so this classic project work is one core part of our work. Um, then we have this, um, we work a lot with foundations um, and uh, we also uh, work with kind of governmental structures because education is a governmental uh, <laughs> responsibility. So, yeah. We also work with this governmental structure. So these kind of three different um, clients, so to say, uh, we are working with. And coming back to your question earlier is <clears throat> um, sometimes it is like that, that we, or most of the time it is like that, that people come to us and tell us, yeah, uh, we want to do something in education and we want to, uh, uh, yeah, 
uh, work with uh, digital tools and stuff like that. Um, we have this and this project idea and then we come in with our expertise and try to shape this kind of event or yeah, coaching or whatever comes out in the end. But there's also that we create uh, um, ideas. For example, our autumn camp uh, two years ago and last year ago was always initiated by um, one team member. And the first one was like a sustainability camp for uh, kids here in Berlin. So it was Improve Your Kids and the kids built with different hardware and software tools with Raspberry Pis or the Kaliupe and Scratch and Makey Makey and all these kind of um, tools. Um, little robots who were, were like watering the, the city trees and uh, one kid uh, was doing a kind of interaction game for the subway that the people are not so isolated, but they get in touch with each other. So the kids really... Um, imagined what they want to change within their kids and then they built it. They built little prototypes and it was all functional prototypes, which I think is super impressive. Within three days to have a little robot driving around and measuring the humidity and the dirt and then watering accordingly. Wow. <laughs> in their neighborhood, so for the people who are not yes. German or not living in Berlin, because everyone living in Berlin <laughs> know what a kids is, but a kids is oh. a the neighborhood. Of, uh, so that yeah. the projects were, were was a three day project for for the kids of a certain neighborhood to improve their neighborhood. Exactly, and then last year's autumn camp was also really cool because we have this uh, musician Josa Pied is her artist's name, um, and um, she is really into electronic music. And we had a only girls camp to explore. Uh, computational thinking and electronic music and they had a really nice performance in the end in the Akut macht neu which is a, a quite known place in Berlin for yeah artists and, um, st and music and stuff like that and yeah we had the ideas for these two camps and then we went out and found money for it and yeah this is also a kind of interesting way we are we are applying for projects so the person the the like the, the your employee come comes back with the idea you find the resources you find the fans like you divide that and then you say we're going to do it and a few months after it's 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 on so this is the best case you are describing now sometimes we don't find money <laughs> or it takes longer yeah we are also right now working on a really really interesting project because we think that um, education is not going to change at all if we are not looking into how kids are graded and how they show what they learned and that learning also takes part outside of school. Um, most of the time, even if more efficiently than inside of school. And how can we create a, a grading system? And grading system is not even the right word. How can we create a system which helps you show what you learned without being always forced to have the standardized tests in the end and without the possibility of showing your personal and individual interests because um yeah our education system is i could open a whole new topic about it is really old and is really based on a on a system which is not uh, uh modern enough anymore and which is not like relevant anymore Yeah. How how does that work for you? you you're like tackling a topic that is very interesting. Mm -hmm. When you talk about like you know, every kid should be able to to be judged on what he's learning. 
uh, even outside of the normal, let's say, classical school system. Uh, but with coronavirus now, I was reading that, you know, with the people at home, they also realized that there are a lot of inequalities between the, the kids and, you know, the, the chances they have, uh, at the opportunities they have at home to have mm-hmm. all the equipments uh, for that. So um, how in, like, um, I saw you, the workshops that you have, for example, with a, uh, on your online workshops with the Tüftler Academy, the price range is going from what, a 15 euro starting at like 10, 15 euro to like uh, 25. Uh, what, what's the price range for that? And do you 25. have do you, what do, mm. 25? And what do you do for uh, for for the kids to to be able to pay for it, for example? Because for, with um, with your, the first nonprofit organization, the Junge Tüftler. Uh, you said that you always have a third party who is like offering the the education, the workshops to the the kids for the online workshop workshops. How do you proceed, or do you have some vision of the future? How you you can manage to to provide that to as many kids as possible? Yeah, 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 definitely. So um, first of all, what we always do is we everything we create, all the content we create, we put under a CC license. So once it's out there, it's free, accessible for everybody. What's a CC and it's license? Shareable. A Creative Commons license, uh, which is a license um, which is quite, um, it's like an open source license, but for educational um, content. Okay. And then you can access, share it and remix it and stuff like that. However, um, Corona put us, of course, in a situation where all our events went down from one second to the other and um, we started with this online workshops and this is interesting because of course it is a new business case for us uh, and as I said before this was never our goal to charge the kids directly for the um, for the classes they are participating in however right now we need to do this in a way to explore if this works or not for us but we don't want to lose our value that every kid should have access to these things. So uh, we are right now also uh, um, cooperating with different foundations in order to have them pay for the webinar, for example, or for the workshop, and then we can deliver it to the kids for free. And afterwards, after the um, workshop happened online, all the content is free anyway. So you can have all the information about how you build this uh, scratch uh, game, uh, you have that anyway in a written form and in a YouTube video. However, if you want to participate the direct workshop, this is a paid uh, a paid uh, content right now. Yeah, and we are trying to, co-op, uh, to cooperate with foundations in order to make it free as well because, yeah, this is important to us. So I should connect you. Do you know uh, Lubomila Jordanova from Plan A? No. And then like, I should connect you to her. Like, It was the first interview of our first episode of this podcast. And uh, they, they, are, like, uh, they are offering a platform to help companies uh, be more sustainable. One of the, 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 the things they offer us in that is, you know, the, this carbon offset when you can actually pay for, for, for that. And I wonder, so the, the companies who, are, who cannot improve some of the things to be more sustainable cannot actually pay to for some projects that are selected by Plan A and that are contributing to a, a better environment. So um, this is 
basically also doing what what you what what, what you are mentioning here is that using third party uh, companies who want to compensate or to offer to do some good by paying for that and uh, maybe you can actually like be part of the the projects that's something I don't know but I will connect you to Lubomila she's a great person to to meet uh, super interesting yeah because education I think in Germany I don't know uh, about Belgium actually but in Germany it is it is really that everybody expects of course yeah everybody expects the state to organize the education system, which is right, I think, because that ensures that everybody has the same chances to get an equal education. However, on the other hand, the system is super slow and is old and not innovative enough in order to keep up with the current uh, developments. So I think what we need to learn is that it is a, is a, that it is an issue for the whole society and uh, to to innovate our education system. And of course, the state needs to innovate their education system, but also parents play such an important role in the education system. And how can we support parents as well to be as supportive as possible without being overwhelmed and without um, having this, uh, uh, sh- uh, how do you say, how do you say that? Without having this, segregation is that the word mm-hmm. even, segregation, yeah. even more like um that it depends where you come from in order to understand where you can go educational wise and to also have companies uh help in improving the system because they are looking for employees afterwards and i understand that in germany it is important that um no companies come into schools and brainwash our kids <laughs> if I put it on a really uh, uh, excessive level. Extreme level, yeah. Extreme level. However, I think it is totally okay if they give money in order to help improve the system. For example, why don't we let them pay for hardware? Why don't we let them pay for initiatives like ours? Because there are so many great education initiatives out there to help the system, the school system, the federal system, innovate even even faster because they can do it on their own i think it's such a historical <laughs> and uh, fixed system but there are so many innovative companies out there just like ours and i think um to help them bridge within school learning and outside of school learning even better that would be a really crucial step and also then to um to help them show what they learned when they participate a Junge Tüftler project or something, right? You learn so much also in sports clubs. And if you, I don't know, volunteer for Die Tafel or something, you learn so much in life outside of school, which is not visible at the moment for others. And yeah, as I said, we are working on a system. Uh, we are looking into open batch systems i don't know if you know that that is a system uh, invented by um, mozilla um and this is a way um that you you create these batches digital batches and you can earn them and um, a lot of different educational initiatives are looking into that because we all get asked the same questions how can i how can i show what i learned here and how can i show this in a way that it's valuable to others and not like 
junge Tüftler printed out this little sheet of paper which says, congratulations, you took coding one. And then another great initiative is printing out a paper, but to kind of find a system which is working on a bigger scale and which is which is opening up um, educational grading systems more into a, a way where you can show what you did so far, like a project-based uh, portfolio thing. So is, is this what... what is this what it, what this is like the, the open batches like what is it exactly uh, how is it related to showing what you what you've learned ah, okay so open batches is a system which is developed by mozilla and it is actually only a way of encrypted batch thingy everybody can create a batch and then you can uh, define what the person needs to reach in order to get this badge. And for example, if you have certain MOOCs or something, if you follow them, sometimes you already get this badge. And this is like a digital um, sticker, <laughs> which uh, which you can use on LinkedIn or whatever for platform. For your employees, okay. Yeah, to show that you participated in that. But of course, at the moment, it's still everybody can create that and this is good, but you always have to look really into the badge, what does it mean and does it have any value to us? But um, I think for education, it is it is a big chance or there's a huge chance to innovate the system. And if you look at creative job applications, I already applied with a portfolio 10 years ago. And I think this is way more uh, yeah, showing what you are actually capable of and what you learned and not only like the grades and stuff like that because yeah it shows you more as a person as a whole person and not as a look how uh, fine i did in this standardized test because this is not what we need anymore right <laughs> yes and you are tackling a, like an interesting topic right now um because with this holocrasis system which is very like particular i think it's like it's fantastic and looks very promising if i would build a company tomorrow i would definitely look into it uh it's it's still very like original and not all people uh in a by by essence i think it's 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 meant for for people to be more social and to be more like free and uh, to give accountability to the persons uh but not as you said not all persons fit into that that system so how do you when you when it comes to recruiting how do you um check for company culture fit in that case and how do you evaluate the 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 skills of the, the soft skills of the people and the hard skills of the people to make sure they fit into that system and they can properly do their job yeah yeah that is an interesting question because this is of course hard but it is super crucial in order to make this whole system work in the end so what we do first um if we have a a job opening we already try to um And that I learned from you, actually, Gilles. <laughs> we already try to put all this in the application. So we try to emphasize that we are working with this uh, holacracy system and that this is really, really important to us as a key, um, yeah, uh, yeah, as a key value. And then we try to already um, use the wording within our job uh, uh, description that is looking into this, like uh, you want to take responsibility and I don't know, 
our team is our so we we try to to emphasize on our team culture and all these kind of things and then we have a if we get the applications um when we get the applications we um we have a a, a structure a system which is um actually supporting the team to be to be a uh, an active part in the process. So we have two, two interview levels um, where we have different people talking with the, um, what is candidate. it? The, uh, the candidate. Yeah. With the candidate. Um, and in the end, um, it's of course also about, you have to talk to the person and you feel how he or she is explaining themselves However, yeah, we also try to be really, really transparent in our um, Erwartungsmanagement. What is that word? <laughs> what, what, what's, it, what's the word in German? So, Erwartungsmanagement. So, Ex expectations wait, I have management. People expectation, expectation ah, yeah, management. Expectation. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's that easy. <laughs> expectation management. So, we try to be really transparent in our job uh, interviews to also open up for what tensions we are facing right now. And we really open up as well that we have this transparent wage system and all these. And then you, you realize pretty quickly if this person is all excited about it or is like super confused that this doesn't mean that these persons so, so are out because you, it's still very new. I can see it coming. I go like, like how many people ask you like, so Will everybody know what my salary is? Yeah, yeah. This question is like a standard question, of course. But <laughs> um, the answer is uh, yes and no because you can decide how you how you you travel within this system, and the system is, of course, in the end, nobody will know exactly the cent and the 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 euro you earn because if you, you know are the married. Category. Yeah, exactly. You know the category. And this is really important because also the team then knows very transparent. You decided on performing in this um, uh, um, engagement level. And then I can expect you to jump in this acquisition project, for example, and support us. And it's very helping in a way that the roles of the the single team members is way more clear to each other. And it's not like, ah, I know that Gilles is always doing this and this. So I ask him if he could support me, but I know Gilles is in this category and then I can expect this and this from him. And if he, if he's doing better, I can talk to him and say, Hey, you should be in a higher category actually. Or I can also challenge you and say, Hey, are you all right? Do you think you might want to, scale down a little bit it seems like your baby is stressing you out right now very much because and you yeah, are something it's like also that. something you're offering like if, with the system if i remember correctly when we talked a year ago you explained to me that you had like various type of people and also contracts like from full-time to part-time to like you know working moms and uh, uh student working students um do you offer how does it work do you have like flexible time options in your in your in your company and like flexible schedule i think we are only flexible <laughs> sometimes this is hard but yeah yeah we have nobody has the same contract in our company can you give us an example uh like do i sign mm -hmm. do i sign up saying okay i'm gonna work three days a week or is it and mm -hmm. i have to stick to these three days or do i sign up saying okay i can work from one day to five days and it's up to me 
yeah, so it's it's it depends <laughs> because <laughs> we are we are event driven, right? We ha- we are doing events and um, we have people exactly committing to us. I work three days per week, but if you have an event, then on Saturday, of course you need to work on a Saturday. So we we also expect the people to be flexible. However, of course, we have parents as well working for us and they cannot be as flexible as somebody who is single maybe or, yeah. And so we we do have different different contracts. We have people working 24 hours, for example, per week, and then they can uh, uh, spread it over the week however it works for them. it is, of course, good to have certain days where you know you can reach them, also for themselves, because sometimes it's also overwhelming if you have these 24 hours and in the end you're always on. Um, but we also have parents who say, like, I work from Monday to Friday from 8 to, I don't know, 2, and then that's it. And they get more, but that also implements that they need to work on projects which are more... Uh, which are more structured and not so fluctuative when it comes to weekend works and stuff like that. So yeah, we have very, very different contracts. And um, I think this is also, for me, this is a key to happiness factor for the team because yeah, there are people who come in at 11 to the office. This would be my worst dream. I need to get up early. I need to work early because this is the most productive time for me. But I know there are different people, and that's all right. And how do you how do you manage that in that case? Because I know this is you know this is something I had is like installed in my previous company. Everybody was allowed to work minimum eighty percent, uh, but this was something as well. When you work with, I know you work with two different sites as well with some some like a like a team or let's say an office in this in, in Berlin mm-hmm. and an office in Düsseldorf. What are the tools you are mm-hmm. using to to manage all that? And do you how do you make sure that like people are aligned on when there is a meetings or can I book when can I put book a meeting with you and everything so sorry so it was a lot of different questions maybe one question like one question is which tools do you use and uh, how do you manage to get all the people working together at the same time when they need to I think one key aspect to that is uh, being gentle with each other I think uh, that means to me we are offering a lot of flexibilities and we are really open-minded about that but we also expect then that the people value that and that they are also trying to be as flexible as possible. Um, And that works out great because we are not such a big team, right? We are under 30 people and that works out really well. And I think everybody understands the value of this flexibility. Um, But it only works if you are then also giving as much as you think this is worth to you. On the other hand, we use, of course, all the different project management tools like um, for, we, of course, there's email. Then we use Slack for, I use Slack for most of my communication with the team. Um, we use Asana for acquisition projects, project management, all that kind of stuff. We use Google Drive, uh, so the G Suite for our um, yeah, day-to-day work on documents and stuff like that. Um, we use Glassfrog, which is a tool for our holacracy um, management system where you can see who is organized in which circle and who has which responsibilities and stuff like that. And yeah, what else do we use? We use a contact, contact a management tool, which is called HubSpot, um, 
where you can where you can gather all the contacts from all the different people. So we put a lot of emphasis in sharing knowledge and trying to make knowledge within the company as transparent as possible. And of course, we have several meetings, but we, what we also learned, we had one team meeting per week till one year ago or something where everybody came together. And this is just not working anymore because not everybody can know everything and not everybody needs to know everything. And this is just waste of time. So we are now we split it up into different this also comes with holacracy that the circles have different meetings and i don't need to be in every meeting of that but um, the acquisition meeting for example uh, is happening at this certain time and yeah and it repeats regularly and that works fine for us and Can people decide to jump into a meeting when they want to? For example, you have these acquisition meetings. Uh, like I'm not in it tomorrow, for example, but if I, I feel like I want to, to, to start to be in it, do I have to ask you if I can get into it or do I can just jump into it or be part of that meeting, let's say, included? Yeah, this is also a very important part of holacracy that everybody can uh, join meetings if they think it's it's valuable to them and then you ask the so the circles are also there is hierarchy right we are not a hierarchical we are not missing any hierarchies but it's just spread it differently so the circles also have one person who is responsible for this circle can you explain for sorry to cut you off can you explain a bit what are these circles can you give an example three four two three examples of these circles and how do they work Yeah. So we have different circles. There's the holistic circle, like the Gesamtkreis, it's called. And this is where all the minor circles are within. So this is actually the whole company. And then there is one circle, which is called back office. And then the relevant people from uh, bookkeeping and office management and stuff like that meet within this circle and discuss, can we buy uh, uh, new software licenses, blah, 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 blah. Then there is one circle which is called project management. And only the project managers uh, sit in there and discuss acquisition, discuss um, uh, cash flow, discuss project status and which project needs to be more taken care of or something like that. And these are just some examples of, um, of, uh, of the different circles. And Julia and I are definitely not in all the circles, but um, we are in some with our roles. And then we are not there as Julia and Franzi, but for example, in the project management role uh, circle, I would be in my role as I am responsible for acquisition and I am responsible for strategic finance planning. So you're not the CEO in that case. That's, that's, you you exactly. just come with your, is, with your skill yeah. or your responsibility. Yeah, with only the roles I have within this circle. And of course, I can always ask the, the responsible person of this circle. So there's this one lead link, it's called, and he or she is responsible for organizing this circle. And then I can ask, for example, the back office circle, hey, uh, I have an issue. Can I join your meeting next week? Can you please invite me? And then this person needs to in has to invite me. So yeah, it's open. Um, and I can also apply for different roles. I can also say this role is not relevant to me anymore. I want to leave it. Somebody else should take it. All that is possible. So it's highly flexible and it's adaptable. And I think in the end, it it will always so we will never be 
done with all that. So it's always growing and developing and changing. And this is interesting, of course. But yeah, this is also pretty... On the one hand, it feels like very new way of working. On the other hand, it feels like, yeah, yeah, actually, this makes sense. It's it's also not so new. What what is the hardest, or what was the hardest in in uh, implementing holacracy, or in general in your company? So hmm, holacracy. So I think the hardest is that I realized only, or we realized on our way, that it is a process that is never finished, right? And this is good, but it doesn't feel like, okay, now we implemented holacracy, check. No, <laughs> it's always like you have to learn so much in the beginning. And I think in the beginning, it was also really overwhelming to a lot of people because It has all these rules and it has all these um, set up things and you need to do a lot of work in the beginning to define all the roles, to define the circles, to learn about the rules and that the meetings are different and stuff like that. So it feels kind of, oh God, we are forced into the system now. And I think the curve goes down first and the frustration and then you are like, Only then you are like learning what the, not learning, but you're experiencing what the, what the benefits really are. And you need to invest first. And I think that can be really frustrating. But and I how did like, you overcome that as a, like, you know, as a CEO leading that? How, how did you overcome mm -hmm. that? How did you manage to keep the people motivated? Mm. We had a lot of discussions actually about about that and if we want to quit working with uh, holacracy at, at all. And Julia and I always felt very strong about this is the way we think that a modern company should look like and that these are the values that we want to work with all these people. We want to emphasize that they are uh, yeah, the key to our work and that they all have a sharp mind and that they should bring it to the table and that we want a company where everybody can engage and shape and design. And um, so this always kept us going, I think. And we are not, we never neglected or we never kind of tried to push the discussions away, but we emphasized the discussions and we had really hard discussions about if we should do it further or not. Um, and I also changed my mind sometimes and I was like, we cannot do this anymore. But um, I think this is healthy and that the team also sees that the, the, the CEOs are not like, it's going to be this, join us, <laughs> but that they are discussing it with us. And we had a great coach who is still um, guiding us through the project or through this whole holacracy process. I think this is crucial because you cannot do it by yourself. I think this is too complex and you are too much. It, it takes so much time and so much learning and you need to be. Yeah. So you, you had a coach be, like, yeah, we still have all along with you. You still have it. And let's mm -hmm. say right now on, on that topic, you would say that now it's like, it's never fully or completely implemented, but now it's going, it's, it's working and you are happy with the system. 
Yeah, and I think that this crucial, crucial step of these transparent wages really showed the team as well that we are serious about it, Julia and I, because this was not easy for us as well to, you know, I, I don't know. I think every founder and CEO is very driven by their idea and uh, protective of the work they created. And it's hard to also give this in the hands of others with the best knowledge that they will do the best for the company and without being afraid of losing control. I mean, I'm in this position because I like to uh, take decisions and because I, I like to work extra hours really long and hard in order to get this project going. And then to let go is also a personal development, which is not always easy. I enjoy it. But on the other side, it's also challenging me very often. Really, what's, what's your learnings? About, like, what's your learning about this? About letting it go? Do you have some some example you can show? Like, you know, when when it went well, surprisingly well, or when it went surprisingly bad, for example, and how you <laughs> you you how you corrected that? Yeah, well, I think um, some people also left us within the last year, and this was hard for me personally because I really liked these people and I really appreciated their work. But I also found that this is healthy. It's a healthy growing process because before that, before Holacracy, I would have uh, managed and I would have organized everything that they, these people could stay and that we create an environment which works for them. And now with Holacracy, I realize that it's not only me who is like trying to be the mom of the company, but to let the the employees actually be adults themselves. And to, um, this sounds weird, but I think this parent-kids uh, metaphor works quite well sometimes. Um, and that this is not the system everybody wants to work in, that they are afraid of not being able to put pressure on other people. And within these conversations, I realized, okay, this is not the way I want to lead this company. I don't want to, people to be afraid to not putting pressure on their coworkers or something. This doesn't feel right. We don't need to put pressure on each, each other. We want to, of course, challenge us, but enable us to do the best work we, we can do. And um, yeah, and this was hard to see really qualified people go, but the system didn't work for them. And I strongly believe that this is the right way to go. And right now I'm pregnant again and um, I'm prepared to be not in the company for quite a while. Hopefully, <laughs> let's see. Um, because I still want to be involved, of course. However, I feel so confident that we have this one year of learning and empowering the team that I feel pretty confident that so many people within the team feel so empowered that they will manage to, to keep the company alive in the best uh, way I would also do it. And this makes me very happy and very uh, satisfied to see that and to see people grow into new positions just like that because they just do it. And this is how Julia and I did it. And I feel like this was so, um, this path was so, Uh, important to me and so valuable and now I see other people going in the same direction and it makes me so happy and yeah if some like if somebody doesn't perform well and doesn't mm -hmm. like you know the, the, you it's it keeps on not going well 
mm-hmm. would the system autoregulate itself as well? And would everybody like also discuss the termination all together? Uh, like maybe it did not happen in your company, but maybe you have other examples from other companies or mm-hmm. maybe in the system it's already kind of like discussed because it seems that like, you know, this holocracy system that you installed for people, it's not like something out of the blue that you try to do yourself. You have a coach, it's organized. Uh, so regarding termination, for example, how how mm-hmm. does it work? How does that work? Like yeah, do... yeah. And this is a very interesting question. It's a, it's a very I know it's a very like difficult question, but this is why I was hesitating no, to ask it. But this is exactly the right question. I'm glad that you asked it because um, in the beginning everybody only thinks about the happy cases, but then if you tip into or if you get into these kind of yeah uncomfortable situations where you have to give also um, maybe negative feedback uh, this whole empowering people to be part of it kind of gets weird because we also learned that everybody wanted to be part of this transparent wages thing because um, we thought yeah you think like you can do something good for your co-workers and um, also we have um, employees feedback uh, sessions Uh, twice a year and we also have um, in the beginning Julia and I did it and now we have team members coming in and in the end hopefully also team members will be able to give give feedback each other way better however we found ourselves in these feedback sessions that they the the co-workers were, were always giving the very positive and maybe a little constructive feedback but in the end the kind of negative feedback was always put back to us and Julia and I were like, okay, and now I am the idiot who is uh, <laughs> responsible for giving the negative feedback. And actually I addressed that quite directly in the team. And um, I think we are still learning of, because yeah, feedback doesn't need to be, even if it's constructive, I think we should learn. And this is of course not easy because it's not common in our society to tell Jill, I think you could have done better in this and this or something. And I think we still need to learn on that. And Julia and I learned it because we had to in our history of the company. You have to just give negative feedback sometimes. And I feel like it needs to be understand that it it can help you grow as a person to be able to deliver feedback, but also to learn how to take this feedback. And I think this is very important for all of us and we are trying to put more emphasis on that in order to enable the people to give also negative feedback but don't feel bad about it because yeah I think it's a cultural thing and we are still iterating around that honestly but I think we identified this quite well and the team is aware of that and I think We are getting better in also giving constructive and maybe sometimes negative feedback yeah, to each other. There is a really, really good book about um, how to oh. actually like implement uh, this, not negative feedback, but like it's called Radical Candor. Yeah. From, have you read it? No, Radical no. what? Radical Candor. It's a really good book uh, mm-hmm. where from an employee, ex-employee at Apple and Google, and she mm-hmm. really explained how to foster uh, a culture of improvement feedback in, in, in the company. Yeah, so yeah and I talked it? to a friend who worked uh, for uh, BCG, Boston Consulting, mm-hmm. 
And there, this was interesting because they have a really, really, really intensive, intensive uh, feedback culture uh, in different levels. And you get feedback all the time and also negative feedback. But um, on the one hand, there is a lot of, without explaining it too much, on the one hand, there is a lot of, about this continuously feedback thing, which I don't like. But on the other hand, it also helps you to not take it so personal and that to, to understand that feedback helps you grow. And I think um, this is a society thing which needs to change and which needs to be improved on. The more often, yeah, the more often you do it, the more like easy people like are used to get it. Yeah, and also the how is playing such an important role. Of course, yeah, yes, of course. Yeah. And to, to go back to the question, did it yeah. happen at any time, that if at one time that you had to terminate someone and was it a group mm. decision in that case? Yeah. Or did all the people leave in that case? No, no. Um, so, yeah, we had this situation um, and we discussed it. I have to admit that Julia and I are still a strong team and that we have, a, of course, a, a relationship to each other which is very, very friendly and trusting and so I would always go to Julia still if I have an issue which is like you know bothering me but then I also talked we we discussed that and then we also talked to different people who have the right roles because there is for example a hiring and development role which is not only um, uh, filled by Julia and I but also by a team member there, uh, I talked to another person who worked directly with her on a project and we discussed and that also helped me because, or us, Julia and me to, yeah, to understand, is my picture the right one? Do I see it correctly or do I miss something? And this is very, very valuable because sometimes you are in like, <laughs> this needs to be like this and this. And th if this person doesn't do it the way I would do it, then this is bad. And this also helps me to step back and look at the situation from a more objective way. But yeah, yeah. In the end, we kind of separated, but mm. in a really caring and uh, friendly way because I, I like this person as a person. However, if the work doesn't fit, it doesn't mean that it's that, that the work per se is not good, but it doesn't help the company right now to develop in the direction we need to develop maybe. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And there is nothing bad about that. I think. No, I mean, that's, that's at the end of the day, it's always, I mean, it's always easy to say, easier to say that it's, it's, it's for the good of, of everyone when, when sometimes yeah. something really doesn't work. Of course it's, I think it's, I personally think that it's a job of like a, the CEO and the whole company to 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 try to try their best to 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 keep everyone, but sometimes when it doesn't work, it doesn't work, and then people then like decide to leave by themselves, or mm -hmm. sometimes you you have to to push that. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, the time is running. Like I, I told you, all, <laughs> that it's never gonna take an hour forty minutes, but we're actually almost there. <laughs> Here we um, are. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I, let's say entrepreneur the part about like being. Uh, you know, a mom, and you're going to be a second time mom uh, soon. What would be, what was the hardest part about that growing your company? And what would be one advice you would give to persons who, uh, to, or to moms or future moms who want to grow their company uh, or start a company actually <laughs> and being a mom? 
Well, I, I think the most crucial thing is that you and your partner are working out well because my husband is like, back then we were not married, but I sometimes don't, I, I understand all the social media discussions about feminism and all that, but I am personally in this very luxurious um, situation where we, I would say we live a very equal parenting life. And this helps me a lot to do the work I love and to understand that the work I do is also a big part of me and of my happiness. So I feel never um, responsible for taking care of the family by myself. <laughs> This is really important. Also, the team I'm working with is very, very supportive and understanding. And I'm also not a person who is like taking off now half a year and then coming back. I never had this kind of wish. I still want to be in the company and I feel like you need... I, I, I feel like so connected to this mission and vision of the company that I don't want to sit at home and only do my mom things, which I love. I'm really a... I love being a mom. However, on the same at the same time, I need to work on these projects because it makes me happy and it makes me um yeah strong and i don't know so it, did it, you take a yeah. real like how long was your real like say break without like without like touch base with a with the company and uh, after that during you know the, the the first year what was your schedule like did you have one day were you working one day per week to catch up or Was it a few uh, just only on Slack? How how was it working for you? Well, I think there is no... I never s decided to have one of these rules somehow. I I think it depends because if I would listen to myself now in a podcast, I would think, oh my God, this mother is neglecting her motherhood things, which is stupid, I know, but we all grow up in certain expectations and it's hard to kind of distance yourself from that sometimes and check back which mom am I and what is actually good for me and my family. However, I feel um, I was always in contact with the people in the company and I'm hopefully, I will hopefully be able to do this as well now because I'm interested in the people I work with. I would call them friends rather than colleagues because we are still so, we are under 30. I know everybody. I I have a real personal interest in everybody and I'm super interested in taking business decisions as well right now. So with my first child, it was like, I think I had the first meeting after giving birth, three weeks after giving birth. This was weird. However, it was only one meeting and the baby was sleeping. So it is not like I'm working constantly then. Um, and what I also realized how friendly people also were bringing my baby to work and he for example loved to be carried in this baby carry thing which you strap around your like it's a backpack but in front and you have the baby in there and he slept four hours in this thing and I was standing in a meeting and doing these weird little bouncing uh, movements and he slept for four hours and I was in a meeting and it was all good he was happy he was close to me I was happy because he was there and people were so understanding I didn't expect how easy it actually can be to bring your baby as well to work was it a meeting with a client or a meeting with your team no it was a meeting with a client actually however i also experienced quite different 
things because we have big corporates working with us and there this would be a no-go somehow. But we also have the 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 possibility to work with other initiatives and stuff like that and there it's not a problem at all so it's a cultural thing which needs to change also in our societal uh, expectations i think um and yeah i had a lot of great experiences around that actually and um i felt very supported by my team by my husband by by the system and by the other initiatives we are working with and yeah, uh, and then you have to realize when a tipping point is reached because this kid is, of course, getting bigger and uh, more awake and more interactive. And uh, we switched, I think, parental leave when my, when Julius was seven months because he was so uh, awake by then and he wanted to interact a lot. Um, and this was a good time, actually, for us to switch. And then my husband went on parental leave and I could focus on... Uh, on the job more and yeah and also my flexible work times I I am able to decide hey this morning we need to go to the doctors of course I want to be there and of course I want to see what's happening and then I work maybe in the evening I'm not bothered by weird working hours in the night or during the weekends or whatever I think yeah your own flexibility is a very important thing and your own flexibility also to shape your picture of which mom are you what is your parent or what is your picture of you being a parent and also to 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 i don't know to change that maybe because i grew up in a very traditional my mom stayed home till i was 6 and i grew up in bavaria and <laughs> all that stuff but yeah also actually corona is i'm i'm kind of grateful for this situation because i spent really a lot of time with Julius at home now because he cannot go to Kita and my husband just started a new job so I was staying home and I enjoyed it a lot and it was a great time but on the other side I also understood how I miss work and how hard it is for me to missing out. How easy was it for you to actually adapt to um, to to coronavirus because my my assumption is that all these companies, and I was insisting on that last year in some of my videos on LinkedIn, so that the companies were actually not offering flexibility. They are like losing a lot of opportunity, and they they, they are going to be like left behind uh, at some point. And I think coronavirus just accelerated all of that, uh, at least to my to my understanding. So, how easy was it for you to adapt with your uh, with your system to to coronavirus? Um, well, I think the first week we were kind of oh my God, what is happening? Um, because as I said, all our projects are were, were event-based or most of our projects were event-based. So all the events, of course, were canceled. But on the other hand, we are always preaching for uh, blended learning systems. And right now we are in, blended means you are online and offline and you bring both together from both worlds, the best parts, so to say. So there are moments where you learn online for yourself and you really dig deep into it. And then there are moments where you come together and you interact and you have this whole social learning approach, which is super relevant to us. However, right now, I feel exactly the same. We are in an accelerated process of, uh, of improving our game when it comes to digital learning. And I feel like this is a societal experiment. We are all in 
which would never be possible without Corona. So I'm also kind of thankful for that because everybody now is forced to explore it without too much doubting it in the beginning. And of course, it's not all good. I totally agree. But in the end, right now, we have the chance to reflect on that and to understand what works actually well. And of course, we want to meet, we want to be together. And I cannot wait to have a my social life coming up again. <laughs> however, <laughs> however, I feel like we should spend more time right now on reflecting what can we learn from the situation, which helps us in the future to be, yeah, to be more prepared and to not uh, have all the systems shut down and <clears throat> um, to also empower people to see it as a democrat democratizing, is that a word? Democratizing as a democratic tool, actually, that digitalization helps us to educate everybody around the world equally. And yeah, I'm super excited. And we kind of, uh, uh, we, we as a company feel that we are accelerated working now on our digital offer as well. And this makes me so happy because this is exactly the right thing. And we did it before, but now we do it with all our forces. And this is so you're taking cool. advantage of the situation? Yeah, well, I mean, of course, we are also struggling because uh, our classical and traditional business cases are kind of mixed up now. But mm -hmm. I feel like this is the, the a huge chance for us. And this is also a huge chance for yeah the whole education system. And I would love to see yeah more uh, strategic things going on and not only like, oh, we fix here a little thing and we fix here a little thing, but more like, yeah on a more political um, and strategic level happening. Good. Thank you very much for the for your time in general today. As I said, there are so many things I would like to discuss, but uh, I won't take too much of your more of your time. Just f finish with a final question that I ask uh, all uh, at all interviews. Mm -hmm. What's your favorite question to ask candidates during a job interview? Oh, God. These questions are all hard. I have so many questions to the candidates, but I most of the time, I think that it boils down to um, to what are the values you you are you are basing on your or why did you apply here? What are the values you share and what are the most interesting things for you you want to uh, see in your future work, maybe? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so what are your values? Why do you want to work here? Yeah. And um, an easy one. What is one book you would recommend for the entrepreneurs who are building, you know, a mission-driven company like yours? I just read this really nice book, uh, Alles könnte anders sein von Harald Welzer, which is a, do you know it? It's a no. positive... Everything could be different in English. Yeah, I guess. I guess he's a German author as well. Uh, I really enjoyed it because it puts so much emphasis on the positive uh, uh, things in the world right now. And he's also, in the really end of the book, he is showing like different initiatives who are value-based working and who are showing how we can change the world in a good way and not only emphasizing our attention on the negative things who are like happening right now in order to be able to act and not be in this shocking 
uh, unmovable uh, situation. Great, thanks. What would be one podcast or one blog or influencer you would recommend to follow? Oh, there are so many, but I was really into a zigzag by Manoush Samarodi and her co-founder, I forget her name, Jen something. And uh, yeah, they are really inspiring to me and they uh, talked a lot about the zebra um, uh, mindset. Do you know the zebra mindset where you are not a unicorn, but not a, I don't know what the other thing is, but a zebra is black and white because they are working for good, but they also need to be profitable. And I think this is a very interesting concept. The last one before getting back to the best advice you've received is a bit similar, but not exactly. What would you do differently if you had to start your company again? Oh, this is a question we get asked very often. And honestly, I wouldn't, I mean, right, if I, if I founded something now, I would do it differently. But I think the way we took is I'm so glad and so happy for the steps we took. And I'm, I learned so much and I would not want to miss it because then I didn't, would, would not have learned all these things. So if I was me back then, I would do it exactly the same way and it is good. If I founded now a company, of course I would do differently. Uh, but um, yeah, I think there's so much value in this path you're taking and in the learnings. Be re yeah, be reflective all the way through and talk to as many different people as possible in order to reflect yourself to take the most learnings out of your out of your path. Yeah. I don't and know if that answers I, your question. Yes, you answered it. It's also it's also good to know that like you wouldn't change anything and that you had a lot of learnings and I think people have uh, will have learned a lot from everything you shared today. So that's that totally answers the question. So now I got I, I get back to the the really final one which is what's the best advice you've received as an entrepreneur? Well, I think um, this is not the, it, an advice I received, but this is something I um, we did and we always got uh, um, mirrored back to us is that we as this founding team were such, this is the base of everything and that we had this good communication and this friendly communication between us, us and um, all the coachings we took and stuff like that they were always yeah mirroring back to us that this is something they would always recommend to other people and we had the actually we we had the luck to find found uh, to to find ourselves and to work together and i think this is i would never recommend somebody to found alone i think because it was so valuable to me and um It helps you so in, in all the situations to have a second opinion and stuff like that and to be really careful also about this relationship with this other founding person. I think that is something I learned even more to value from, from coaches and stuff like that, yeah. Thank you. So now it's your time for, like, if people want to know more about you or your projects, how they can be involved, how they can book workshops for their kids or their companies, Where can they find more info? 
Yeah, so um, we are happy if people want to engage, of course, and uh, if they want to join us. So um, we have two different websites. The one is the junge-tüftler.de website, um, where you can learn all about our company, our values, and what we do, what work we offer, actually. And then there is the tüftelacademy.de uh, or yeah, .de website, which is offering all the tüftel boxen, which you can order for uh, for your home tinkering with kids and you can also book webinars and workshops there um yeah and uh we are always looking for interesting people who want to work with us who are interested in future technologies and education and yeah happy to talk to interested people i will include the links in in the in the podcast sure. and everywhere online too so again thank you so much for your time today Francie. we went even like a bit even like uh, we exceeded the time we had planned for that. So thank you very much for sharing all of this. I've learned a lot and I wish you all the best uh, with your companies and have a nice Sunday. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Chile. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. If you like this podcast, there are two things you can do that would mean the world to me. The first thing is to sign up for the podcast newsletter. That way you will be notified of the new episodes but you will also get a summary of the learnings at the end of every season. Plus, for each episode, you will get the resources and the list of do's and don'ts that every guest shares with me. And finally, you will also get the opportunity to ask our future guests one question in advance. You can sign up for this newsletter on gtimpact.com. The second thing you can do to be super helpful is to recommend this podcast. For that, you can write a review on Apple Podcasts and share the podcast with your friends, other entrepreneurs, and people trying to build a sustainable future. That way, we can all learn together and work on a brighter future for us, our children, and our planet. Thank you very much, and see you next week for the next episode. Have a nice day.